Welcome to this episode of the Elite Advisor Blueprint Podcast with your host, Brad Johnson. Brad's the VP of Advisor Development at Advisors Excel, the largest independent insurance brokerage company in the U.S. He's also a regular contributor to Investment News, The Wall Street Journal, and other industry publications. Welcome to the Elite Advisor Blueprint, the podcast for world-class financial advisors. I'm Brad Johnson, VP of Advisor Development at Advisors Excel, and it's my goal to distill the best ideas and advice from top thought leaders and apply it to the world of independent financial advising. In today's conversation, David Bach is back for round two. David is one of America's most trusted financial experts and best-selling financial authors of our time. He previously appeared on episode 21, for those of you that happen to miss it. Today, we discuss the journey behind his new book, The Latte Factor, which has already become an international bestseller. David shares a little-known story of a dinner with Paulo Coelho, author of The Alchemist, one of my all-time favorites, that actually led to him finally writing this story after putting it off for over 10 years. Also, why this story is so different from his previous nine New York Times bestsellers. We cover that as well as a number of other topics, including why it's so important for financial advisors to get in front of millennial clients right now, the power of buying your children's shares of stock in their favorite companies, key factors that allow financial advisors to sell their firms for huge multiples, and why growth doesn't have to mean less freedom. I think it will be clear after this conversation that David isn't just some talking head who only sells books, but knows our industry at a very deep level. You're going to pull a ton from this conversation. Okay, before we dive into the conversation, as I just finished reading David's book, I'm going to share how to get a free copy of The Latte Factor for you listeners out there who would like to give it a read. So here's what to do next if you'd like your free copy. Number one, all that I ask is that you leave an honest review out on iTunes for our show. You can visit the link bradleyjohnson.com forward slash iTunes to make it easy. Or if you're listening on a mobile app, just scroll down. Number two, once you've left a review, just drop us an email via brad at bradleyjohnson.com with your iTunes username and a mailing address, and we will drop you a copy in the mail as a thank you. That simple. Also, all the additional show notes, books mentioned, people discussed, as well as a full transcript of the show can be found at bradleyjohnson.com forward slash 58. That's 58. So that's it. As always, thanks for listening. And without further delay, my conversation with David Bach. Welcome to the Elite Advisor Blueprint. I have special guest, David Bach, back here for round two. Buddy, it's fun to be with you, but this time we're like sitting next to each other. I know. So now it's the real now deal. Now the real bro handshake. Yes. You know, I'm sitting here in the conservative blue business look. This guy here looks like he just got off the boat from Italy. Well, Dapper I, I, this was actually me. just rocked for the first time at the Kentucky Derby. So, so oh, dude, you got to go a little it's, louder out it's, there. It's so good. So, so good. Good well, to see you. Good to be here. So... Well, let's dive in. Today, we're going to be talking about The Latte Factor, which is your just released book. And you've already sold a ton of copies. I was hopping on Amazon. Yeah. And it's already at the top of the charts on there. It's been out one week. Instant international and national bestseller. It is number two on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list today. Wow. And all the bestseller lists, Publishers Weekly, USA Today, in Canada. So we're, we're super excited. What's happening with this book a little different than my previous books is that, again, it's really short and it's a story, not a classic self-help mm-hmm. nonfiction book. People are reading this book in like an hour and they're having such an emotional response to it that they're turning around and buying like books for their friends immediately as gifts. So this has turned out to be a huge graduation gift already. I, I was going to ask. I was like, yeah. 
So I literally just finished it this morning and we had a bunch of graduation gifts. I was like, I wish I would have finished it last week because it would have been every single one of my graduation You still gifts, can, it can be a second gonna, graduation gift. circle yes. back around. This will be an evergreen book. I think this will be an evergreen gift book, every mm-hmm. graduation. But like people are buying it now for Father's Day mm-hmm. because it's a gift book and it's designed to help, you know, really from millennials to baby boomers learn how to save and invest. But it's, I intentionally wrote it to reach young people and young people are reading it. And my 15-year-old just read this book cover to cover on a plane flight. And he turned to me and said, like, he's never read any of my other books, right? Yeah. Like, he's 15, and my books have sat next to his bed for all these years with dad harassing him. And then this book, he reads a cover to cover on a plane flight. And, you know, we'll talk about some of the lessons in here. But he literally turns to me and says, Dad, is this, this chart back here, which starts at 19. I'm only 15. Mm-hmm. I can save $5 a day. And if I do this, I'm going to be a multi, multi-millionaire. I go, I know, Jack. He's like, well, then let's do this. Like, mm-hmm. how do I start? And so that lesson at 15 is a complete game changer for him. And his nine-year-old brother, James, who saw that he had read it, mm-hmm. he turned around and has read this book. And he goes to school and starts talking to his teacher in the third grade, Patrick, about why Patrick needs to get going on his investment plan. And he goes in and shows Patrick the second chart in here. And he comes home and he says, you know, dad, I taught Patrick today why he needs to get started. And then he says, this is a breakfast. His mom's outside the door here. He says, dad, I don't have a latte factor because I don't drink coffee. I go, I know. He goes, I have a V-Buck factor. Now, for those of you who don't have young kids and you don't know what a V-Buck is, V-Buck is digital currency inside video games like Minecraft. And he, so he's nine. And he goes, he's already got the metaphor. He goes, I spent so much money last year on these games. He's like, I don't even play those games anymore. I wish I had that money back. I would invest it the way Zoe Daniels learned now to invest. Mm-hmm. But he's nine. So he's got his whole future that can be changed as a result of those simple little lessons. I didn't expect a nine-year-old could read this book. That's that, well, that's the, to me, that's the power of how you laid it out. When I first dove into it, I was expecting your other books. And then yeah. I was like, oh, this is a story. It's a parable to basically teach a lesson. And I'm going to give you a great compliment here because I know on the last time we had a conversation about Paulo Coelho and The Alchemist yeah. being one of your favorite books. To me, this is almost an alchemist-type tale around money. That was my goal and my dream. And in 2012, I've been wanting to do this book for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And for 10 years, I was with Random House for forever. Mm-hmm. They didn't want me to change. They didn't want the story. They wanted me to stay the nonfiction route. Mm-hmm. And so I had stopped writing books. And I had a chance to go have dinner with Paula Coelho. So I told my wife, I'm, I'm going to go to Geneva and have dinner. She's like, you're going to go to Geneva for dinner. I goes, Paulo Coelho, like, this is my writer idol. He wrote yeah. a book called The Alchemist and sold 100 million books around the world. So I go to dinner with Paulo. We close this restaurant down. We then go to the bar. We close his bar down. And right before he's getting ready to leave, he turns to me and he says, so David, what is the book that your soul desires to write that you have not written? And I proceed to tell Paulo, I want to write this book called The Latte Factor that can do for money what you did with The Alchemist, that will translate all over the world, that will teach especially young people. They're richer than they think. They have more strength than they know. And their dreams deserve to come true. He turns to me and he says, then David, puts his hand on my arm like this and mm-hmm. goes, then you must write this book. <laughs> right? Which gives me chills to yeah. this moment. And he leaves the bar and I was with Brendan Burchard and he's like, what did Paulo just say? And I tell Brendan, he's like, dude, you got to write this book. 
And I come home and my wife goes, well, how was dinner with Paulo? Which, what did he say? I go, he says I should write the latte factor. And she's like, I've been telling you to write the latte factor for 10 years. So I go, well, now Paulo told me I should write yeah, it. So, now we just stack the pressure. You know, I, I dedicated this book to Paulo. I also dedicated it to Oprah because the latte factor, I taught it on her stage and it had a huge impact and reached tens of millions of people. And then, of course, my wife got dedicated too because she's believed in this yeah. the whole time. So. Out of curiosity, I mean, the latte factor, the beauty of it, and we talked about this last time, it's an easy analogy to remember. How did that come to be? Were you just sipping on a coffee one day and you're like, this is it? Or was it like a conversation no, with the no, friend? No, it happened with me teaching an investment class. So I used to teach a four-week investment class. Mm-hmm. Like in the very beginning of my career, we're talking like the 90s here. And at the end of the fourth week, as I'm getting ready to, you know, as advisors, you know, do my clothes, right? I'm getting ready to close down a four-week workshop that's eight hours long. Home stretch. I learned lessons. Never take questions at the end of a home stretch. I'm taking questions. And a young woman named Kim raises her hand in the back of the room and says, David, she doesn't ask a question. She makes a statement. She says, this class has been great. I'm obviously one of the younger people in this room because it was a room of mostly retirees. And she says, but I can't do anything you're telling. You've been talking about doing. I can't do them. I can't pay myself first. I don't have the money to save. And so none of this stuff works for me in the real world. Those are literally the words she used. None of this stuff works for me in the real world. Well, that was a bad thing to hear at the end of the class. So I was a little stumped. And I said, Kim, where do you work? Kim happened to work at The Gap, not in retail. She had a corporate job Mm -hmm. in San Francisco. I said, Kim, I know The Gap has a 401k plan. Are you using it? She said, no, I just told you I can't afford to. I go, okay, we're going to just stop right now. And we're going to figure out how to find you the money. Is everybody okay with me ending the class, helping Kim find the money? Everybody goes, yeah, sure, yeah. fine. I go to a blackboard and I start going, let's just go through your expenses. In the morning, Kim, what do you do in the morning? I know they got coffee to get the gap because I see it. I've been there before. Do you drink that coffee? She goes, no. It happened to be she had a Starbucks cup in her hand. So mm-hmm. I, she goes, no, I got a Starbucks. I go, oh. Now, early 90s, there was only a couple thousand Starbucks. Yeah. Like this was a new concept. Yeah. I go, so let's take a look at what that costs. And I put it on the blackboard. Do you anything to eat with that? She says, yeah, I get a muffin. I just walked through her expenses. And by the end of walking through expenses, before we got to lunchtime, we'd shown her how she'd already wasted like $15, $20. And I said, you know, Kim, look how much money we found. And she said, well, what's your point? And I said, well, my point is if you could make, you know, drink the coffee for free at the Gap and bring an apple, don't go get a snack downstairs, bring an apple to work. Like, I'm just trying to show you how to find the money. Let's just show you what $10 a day in your 401k plan at the gap could be worth. You're in your 20s. Let's just take this out and show you the math. Well, the math was her being worth well over a million dollars. So she looks at this. This was all done in live time. And she goes, now she's kind of frustrated, truthfully. Mm -hmm. She goes, are you trying to tell me my lattes are costing a million dollars? And one of the guys who was retired in the front of the room turned around and goes, lady, that's exactly what he's trying to tell you. You have a latte factor. And she's like, oh. So the class ends. And from the leaving the classroom to walking to our car, every single person in that classroom is talking about this. And they're talking not about their coffee. They're talking about their own latte factor. So immediately, it's a metaphor, right? Like mm-hmm. my son figured out at nine, it's a V-buck factor. Right. People are walking to their car talking about this. It gives me chills now thinking about it. And my assistant looks at me and she says, David, you need to teach the latte factor from here on out. When you talk about paying yourself first and compound interest, 
this is a metaphor that people will, will get. Mm-hmm. And so I just kept doing that. Put it in every single book ever since. Mm. It's a cool story. That's the power to getting out, sharing ideas, and letting them iterate over time. And it just, I mean, that would have never come out had you not been teaching class after class after class. You know, being out in the real audience, real people with real people is where all the stories, best stories come from. Mm-hmm. I'll give you a, a classic story from last week. You want a new story yeah, that nobody's yeah, heard? A new story. So I was just in Atlanta. I just did a big event with Mark Ford. Uh, Mark, Mark Lloyd. I'm sorry. Yeah. We had over 550 people at our first Latte Factor event. Huge event, by the way. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of advisors are watching this, but he got 91 new appointments from the event that we did. So I go and I do CNN. He's in Atlanta. And I'm in the makeup room. So when, when you're in the makeup room... Inevitably, makeup ladies have time to ask you lots of questions. Right. It sounds so weird, but it's true, yeah, right? Yeah. So the woman doing my makeup says, well, what's your book about? So I start mm-hmm. telling her. She says, um, okay, well, can I ask you a question? It's always like, can I, mm-hmm. can I ask you a question? Mm-hmm. What investment should I put my money in? Like, what mutual fund or stock should mm-hmm. I buy? And I go, well, let me ask you a question. I go, I'm going to go on the show and talk about paying yourself first one hour a day of your income. Do you use... CNN's 401k plan. She says, yeah. I go, okay, well, without you telling me how much you're putting aside, let me guess how much you're putting aside. This is a big makeup room, actually. Mm-hmm. It's the biggest green room I've ever seen for a TV show. Now everybody's listening. So there's like four other people in their chairs. Everybody's paying attention. I go, I'm going to guess that you are saving 3 to 6% of your income. She goes, how do you know that? I go, because the average American, that's what they say. They save somewhere between 15 minutes a day to 30 minutes a day of their income. She goes, you're right. I'm saving 6% of my income. I go, that's not enough. You need to save an hour a day of your income. And I started explaining to her, that's 12% of your gross income. And she says, just like Kim from 20 years ago, I'm a single mom with two kids. I can't afford to. Now, it happens to be there is a latte from Starbucks sitting on the counter. The Starbucks in the CNN headquarters is a lo- one of the largest things I've ever seen. There were 75 people in line mm. at Starbucks when I went up the headquarters escalator to where I was going. I said, listen, I don't know if you need to give up your cup of coffee. What I know is this. You can't save 6% of your income and be in financially great shape. You won't be. You're a single mom with two children. You have to figure out how to save another 6% of your income, which is 30 minutes more. So whether it's giving up your coffee or something else, I, and she says to me, are you sure? <laughs> I'm positive. Yeah. This is what I've been doing for 26 years. I'm totally positive. And I go, well, let me ask you a question. This is like my new story. I go, let me ask you something. Let's be honest right now. If the CNN executive team comes down here in five minutes and tells all of you in this room that you can either take a 6% pay cut or you can pack up your makeup and go and you're done, what would you do? She looks at me and she goes, and everybody's listening now, mm-hmm. right? She goes, I would figure it out. I go, you would, right? You'd stay. Mm-hmm. You'd figure out how to cut your expenses by 6%. I'm telling you to not be forced into it. I'm telling you to proactively go increase your savings, which by the way, an extra 6% will cost you 6% in take-home pay. It'll cost you 4% because it's pre-tax money. Mm-hmm. So she says... If she sees, she's going to hate them sharing these stories probably, but that's the beauty of live stuff. So she says, you know, I just need to get married. And I go, no, 
That is exactly not the answer. In fact, in the latte factor, Zoe Daniels learns that a man is not a plan and your solution is never going to be someone else. Your solution is going to be you. You need to fix your financial life. You don't ever want to be dependent on somebody else. And as we walk away, the producer says to me, I read your book two days ago and I've increased my 401k plan by 2% already. Mm. And I give her a high five and I'm like, the book has worked. Right. And then I go to the next producer. The next producer says, you're here because I read Smart Women Finish Rich and I've been maxing out my 401k plan for years now, over 10 years because of you. And my 17-year-old daughter, she's getting this book because this simple stuff changes your life. And David Bach, you've changed my life. Smart Women Finish Rich. And then I do my interview and I'm like, this is why I do what I do. Mm -hmm. As you go into that, I'm just thinking, I'm like, if there's ever been a time for this book, we were just talking before we went live on millennials and how they're the worst of any generation financially, they're the worst off right now. And a lot of our advisors are working with retirees. And I'm like, I don't know if the event for Mark was around educating their clients' children, retirees' children and grandchildren, but I think that is the potential with this book because you've got so many of these, you know, like the greatest generation that were, they actually were very frugal. And now you're seeing the exact opposite of that where everybody wants what they want right now and they don't want to wait or sacrifice for it. Where do you see that going? Is obviously you just had an incredible event with Mark Lloyd. I'm sure there's future events planned. Where do you see that kind of fitting with people working with retirees? So this is a great, Mark's a great example, right? So we did a state of the economic union. I came in, talked about the economy, shared principles from this book Mm -hmm. and talked about retirement too. But I basically drilled the message home like, you guys have all worked so hard to give money to your kids. What you really need to do is give them some financial education, mm-hmm. which is hard to do. So just give them this book and have them read it. So as I signed books, I basically signed books for everybody's kids and grandchildren, right? So the clients were there with their friends, but I signed these books almost inevitably for their children. And, you know, the generation of baby boomers, a lot of them did everything right, but they also didn't come out of school with all this debt. So they know what their kids are going through and they're worried about it. Right? Like they see their kids not getting married because they, they see their kids having not bought a home yet. And so everybody knows that help is needed. The question is always like, well, how? How do you help? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, look, I, I just hope honestly that this little story is going to go help a whole lot of people. But what I've told our advisors is you've got to get in front of the millennial clients right now because if you don't, they're actually opening accounts somewhere else. So, you know, most people who work here, millennials, mm-hmm. right? So I've done speeches for all of our employees. Yep. I basically got a hundred something employees here to increase their 401k plan within five days of me speaking, right? Like we had like 118 people to cost Cody and David a bunch of money <laughs> because, because I, I got all these millennials right. to go save more money. Like they were saving 8%. I'm like, you need to get to 10, you need to get to 11, you need to get to 12. And people went immediately and made changes. And you know, what's interesting. A lot of those people who work here, they have accounts with what I would call millennial-focused firms. Firms that I happen to be investors or advisors to, like mm-hmm. Acorns. Acorns is a great example of a millennial-focused firm. It helps you take your change, small amounts of money, and invest it online. Acorns has opened over 5 million accounts in 36 months. It's all young people opening small accounts. This firm has now got a valuation of over $850 million. And the, last, the last investor in the deal was Comcast, which is CNBC which they reportedly put in $100 million because everybody wants to get in front of millennials. Mm-hmm. I was an investor and an advisor at Clarity Money. That's a financial app that targeted millennials. 
like a mint.com, but it was millennial focused. It was bought by Goldman Sachs Mm -hmm. last year because Goldman Sachs is building a millennial focused bank called Marcus. So what I can tell you as an advisor is that everyone is coming for your client's children. Now, if you're retiring the next two or three years, if you're a financial advisor, then you don't need to worry about this. But if you're building a business to be out 10 years or longer, you better get a relationship going with your client's Mm -hmm. children and grandchildren. And the way you start that relationship starts with first recognizing that you need to, and then coming up with a very systematic approach. I just spoke in front of all of our people that are here today. And I said, you guys, honestly, you should buy these books by the bucket full. And every time a client comes in your office, you should sign the book for their children. And you should say to your client's kid, you should say to your clients, first of all, you should know your client's kids' names. Yeah. You should know where they That's are. Right. Yeah. If the kid's in college, you should say, how's he doing with student, she doing with student loans? Do they need any help? Let me sign this book for them. I'll mail the book to them, by the way, if you want. When they come back from school for the summer, let me meet with them. If they're getting their first job, let me help them with the 401k plan. But your clients should leave with these books for their children and their grandchildren. That's a start. But you need to have a relationship with these kids because I'm telling you what is going to happen is your clients are going to die. The kids are going to have an account somewhere else and they're going to click a button on their iPhone and that money is going to go. If you think you're going to show up at the funeral or when dad's sick in the hospital and then build a relationship, you're going to be too late. This has never been an issue until now. I mean, I'm second generation in this business. The Bach Group has three generations of families, right? Like it's got grandma, it's got kids, it's got the grandchildren. There's never been anybody competing for these younger people's accounts, but they are now. And the race is on. So, Well, yeah. I mean, just probably five, 10 years ago, if a client passed away, the kids needed to come into your office to see you to kind of settle things up. Now, as you stated, everything's on an iPhone app. Click account's gone. And the kids didn't have money anywhere else. Yeah. Right? So today, the fact that they're opening these accounts with other firms... And look, I'm investing in these other firms. Mm -hmm. So I know what's happening. That's why these firms are going to ultimately be bought up by financial service companies. We're going to talk about United Capital here in a second. Like, the smarter firms are filling out the funnel. You can't afford to go, well, millennials don't have money. I can't meet with them now. I'm not saying you have to go out and prospect millennials as an RIA. I'm saying that as an RIA, you have, first of all, a fiduciary duty to care about your clients and love your clients. And if you love your clients, then you got to love on their kids. And if you don't have a relationship with your kids, you don't really have a relationship with your client. Yeah. I've seen it, especially the last two or three years, our very top offices, guys like Mark Lloyd, they're now creating a client experience. So part of the firm is, yes, they manage their assets. But their retention is... They create these amazing experiences. I can think of one of my offices out in Washington. He rented out a movie theater and they did a client event, but it wasn't for his clients. It was for the grandkids. And he said, be a rock star grandma and grandpa on us. We're bringing the theater. We're going to have a great time. right?" To me, that's just another version of what you can do here is let's not just have fun with our grandkids. Let's teach them how to be financially independent and literate, which is totally. completely underserved right now. So a way for an advisor to completely start to bridge that gap by creating an educational experience. I mean, what grandparent doesn't want that for their grandkids, right? They all want it. And a lot of times they just don't even know how to start the conversation, which is also where as the advisor, you can come in and show them, like, well, here's a book, mm-hmm. but here's some lessons you can teach. My grandmother helped me buy my first stock at age seven. I told that 
from the stage with Mark. Here's what she did. Here's how she taught me. And I walked them through exactly how to do it with their kids. And I'm like, how many of you think you could do that? That took three minutes to share it with you. And they're all like, yeah, there's like 500 people raising their hand. Great. So go home and do that with your grandkids. And then as I'm signing books, a bunch were coming up to me and saying, I did that. I've already done that, but great idea. I need to do it for all the grandkids. And by the way, is McDonald's still your favorite restaurant? No. Or you But the lesson I took from that was for a kid, that's the bridging the gap of, oh, this is what the stock market is. I've yeah. got this tiny little piece of this company that I show up and I give my money to. And so I didn't even just, you're telling the story because you know it from before, but for those who have never watched, like the story is my grandmother helped me buy my first stock at McDonald's mm-hmm. at seven. But the lesson was there's three types of people. Those who work here, and she went through why that's a difficult way to make a living. Mm-hmm minimum wage and how hard that is and why I needed to go, you know, I need to go to college, study, not work for minimum wage because it's hard. Second thing she said to me is you can be a consumer, somebody who comes here and spends money. That's what most people are. Third person comes here and is the investor who owns the place and investors get rich. Seven years old. Mm. She's like, this is how you play Monopoly for real. So she taught me how to buy McDonald's stock. And that changed my entire thought process. My kids today, we live across the street from Shake Shack in New York. Mm. So Shake Shack's public. So my kids own, and that's where we go. They don't go to McDonald's. They go to Shake Shack. So they own Shake Shack stock and they own Amazon and they own, you know, I'm buying them stock in things that they're excited about. Some, which by the way, are working and some aren't, mm-hmm. right? Like when Snapchat came out and you know, my kids on Snapchat, he's not on Facebook. Mm-hmm. He wants Snapchat stock hasn't done well, right. but they're learning these lessons and they're thinking like investors at the age of nine and 15. And that's like three quarters of the battle. If you can get your kids thinking like an investor at a young age, that's what changes their life. Yeah. I want to go to your grandmother because one of the most important lessons out of this book is the very end. By the way, as I hold this copy, just know I didn't have to pay for this it because I got, is- I got it at Advisors <laughs> Excel. <laughs> the free Advisors Excel copy, which isn't a bad rest, by the way. I like how you ended the book. And I also, I don't want to get too deep into the fiction story because it is a story. So I don't want to ruin the ending for people. But what I love here, so for those that are checking on video, basically the end is a little interview with you on the lessons your grandma gave you. Your grandma wrote, right? And to me, it has to make you proud that she's since passed, but that her legacy lives on here. And a lot of those lessons that she taught you when you were little that led to what you do today. So... Can you share just a little bit about your grandmother? I mean, it's probably tough to do her justice in a minute or two. No, totally. I mean, there's an underlying theme in this book that it's not about the money. It's about living your soul's purpose. Mm -hmm. That our job while we're here in life is to truly identify what it is our soul wants to do with with our life. Mm -hmm. When Zoe Daniels, who's 27, is coming to work and she's coming through... (laughs) The Oculus. Mm -hmm. It's this incredible $4.5 billion development above the Fulton Center and the Freedom Tower uh, subway station. And there's an LCD screen that is over 600 feet long. It's like a football field. Mm -hmm. And she sees on the LCD screen, if you don't know where you're going, you might not like where you end up. And she comes up from underground. She takes an escalator up to right by her office. She works in the Freedom Tower. Mm -hmm. One World Trade Center. And she sees people mourning at the 9-11 memorial. Now she's seen, she's walked by these people for six years because it's next to her office. She's never really seen it. Meaning like she's not taking it in. 
She's busy going to work. Mm-hmm. On this day, she sees that and she goes, she sits down on the bench and she goes, well, where am I going with my life? Which is ultimately what begins her journey to self-discovery. So you go to my grandmother, where my grandmother's story is weaved in here, is that my grandmother on her deathbed, I was finishing Smart Women Finish Rich, dedicated to her. And I asked her, do you have any regrets? And she went through them with me. And she had five. She could remember them all the way back to being a teenager. Mm. And she said to me, it's not my specific regrets that matter here today. It's why I have them. So she said, the reason I have these regrets is that at every one of these regrets, I came to a fork in the road where I had to make a decision. Do I take risk and go for what is really the thing I want to do in my life where the dream could possibly be? And like she knows what she wants, but she doesn't know it's going to turn out. But it's what she really wants. Mm-hmm. Or do I take the safe road? I came to a fork in the road. She's like, everyone comes to forks in the road. You're going to come to forks in the road. I see here today, 86, I'm going to die. I'm not going to leave this bed. I'm like, no, you are. You are. She's like, no, I'm not. I'm not going to leave here. I'm dying. And I'm telling you, because you are young, when you come to these forks in the road, there's going to be a moment inside you where you've got somebody, you've got a young little boy inside you, mm-hmm. a young David that wants to go take the risk, that wants to go play. You're also going to have a big boy inside of you, the big David, that's going to say, no, we probably shouldn't go that way. There, for all the different reasons, we shouldn't go there. And she's like, it's not going to just be your own voice. It's going to be other people's voices. It could be your spouse. It could be your parents. You know, it could be your boss. It could be society. And she's like, I'm just telling you right now that so that you don't end up where I am, when you come to these forks in the road, you need to take the risk. You need to listen, listen to your soul. You need to listen to your little boy. And she told me, so I hope that you will, and share this with other people. I went back to my office. It's in the book, but I went back to my office. I actually broke down crying in the garage because I was a financial advisor at Morgan Stanley. Mm. And my soul no longer wanted to be one. My soul wanted to go out and write books and teach people about money. And I didn't know if that was even possible to make a living doing it. But I told myself in a car breaking down in tears in Orinda Theater Square, where my, op- where my sister still to this day, where the Bach group still is, I would figure out a way within three years to leave Morgan Stanley. Great job, great career, love my right. clients, but try to go for my dreams of teaching a million, at the time, a million women to be smarter with money. That was my mission. That was my dream. No idea how I would do it, but I ultimately did it. And it led me to move to New York, knowing no one, and build a career teaching people about money. And the lesson that's told in this book is, has nothing to do with me. It has to do with you. Next time you come to Fork and Roll Road, who will you listen to? The big boy or the little boy? The big girl or the little girl? And what's happening with people reading this book because it's so emotional is that, quite frankly, a lot of people are crying in when you can see in this book. And they're in tears thinking about what they could do with their life, both men and women. I just did an event at the Oculus. I did a book event at the Oculus. Wow, I gave away cool. 500 bucks. And I had a, a gentleman come up to me. I'm going to guess he was in his 60s. Super handsome man, very well dressed up. And he said, I came three hours to be here. I read your book. I want you to know I actually cried. It's a big guy, yeah, like over six feet tall. And he said, I am going to make major changes in my life. And I just wanted to come here and thank you. Because this little book woke me up to the fact that I need to, I still have a lot of time left. And I need to not have regrets. And he like gave me like a shake and kind of like a bro hug. <laughs> and I was like, you know, it's not just, it's, it, 
it's, there's no age at which we should stop going for our dreams. Mm-hmm. And then another woman came up to me at that same event. And she said to me, did you know, because I talk about leaving Morgan Stanley and taking this risk. She said, did you know that it would all turn out? You know, because now wow. it's all turned out, right? Yeah. And it was funny because there's a bunch of people around her listening. And I go, no, I didn't know. That's why it's the risk. Yeah. If I had known it was all going to work out, then it would have been the safe road. My wife and I are getting ready in 60 days to move to Florence, Italy, which is like a complete, amazing, insane, cool thing that we're about to do. We came up with this dream to take our family abroad for a year because Jack's going to be a sophomore. And it was mm-hmm. my last window of opportunity to take him abroad for a year before he has to buckle down and get serious at his school for junior, senior year. And we're so excited about it. It's just, there's a lot of risk involved in what we're about to do. And we're going to Florence and we're not knowing anybody and we're leaving our home and we're leaving our friends and, you know, there's work issues and like, but that's where the gold is. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I'm hoping it's funny because even like we just did a radio show and Megan said, are you going to, are you going to podcast or anything from, from Florence? I'm like, I might, because I want to take people along on the journey with me, mm-hmm. you know, so that they can kind of experience this thing that we're about to do. Well, I know, I know you've traveled to Italy multiple times. I was just thinking as I, as I read that in the, the end of the book, because you yeah. kind of share that with the readers, I've got a spot. So I took our family over last summer, one of the coolest, to Italy. I mean, just everybody's Every, family, every, Everything right? about it's cool. Right? Uh, I've become a better parent in Italy, yeah. you know? But there's a little cafe that overlooks that famous bridge with all the shops on it. In Florence. Yes. Yeah. So I'm going to, we'll make sure and all get right. you that. There's this little hole in the wall we found and we just had a little espresso over there. It's, you know what? I'm 200 yards from the Ponte Vecchio. Oh, awesome. Like from my apartment, I can see the Ponte Vecchio oh, wow. from the window. Uh, yeah, yes, let me know. So why Italy? Why'd you choose Italy? Italy's always been my favorite country to visit. Mm-hmm. I've been all over Italy. Um, but we kind of said, okay, we can go anywhere in the world. Where do we want to go? So we made a process of elimination where we didn't want to go. And then we kept coming back to Italy. And I was like, you know, honey, I love everything about it. I love the people. There's a different way of life in Italy. Mm-hmm. I love the energy of the people. I forgot, love the food. Yeah. I love the culture. And I've never been in anywhere in Italy that I didn't really enjoy. Yeah. And it's a very easy country to travel around. And then we chose Florence because it's just one of the greatest cities, I think, in the whole world. It's also a, a nice city, but it's not too big. You know, I live in Manhattan, so I wanted a smaller city. And like, I want my kids to be exposed to the arts. My younger son, James, I think could be an artist. And I think what an amazing thing for him to be nine years old and being arguably the alt art, the center of art culture might possibly in the world is Florence. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if I can just inspire him through that also more. And then my wife and I are like, where can we just have a whole lot of fun? Yeah. Decent wine over there, I hear. Decent yeah. wine over there, yeah. Yeah, wow. I said the Very kids cool. are going to school and the mom and dad are playing. I love the analogy of the fork in the road because I think on my side, getting the ability to have a lot of conversations with advisors that, you know, they're entrepreneurs. They're yeah. independent financial advisors. They're running businesses. And the beauty of the financial services business, you can build it however you want. Uh, good example, Joe Duran, United Capital, just sold to Goldman Sachs within the last few weeks. Almost an 18x multiple. Yeah, it's, you know, another way to look at this is it's it's a little over 30 million per billion because people get so confused by these different multiples. But, you know, these businesses are selling for somewhere between 10 to 30 million a billion. And, you know, I've known Joe for, you know, some time. He he did a phenomenal job of executing. Mm -hmm. And you go, you know, I don't know where you want to go with this conversation, but, you know, I, I think it's so smart 
that Goldman bought you know, capital. Well, let's talk to this because as I look at a lot of our offices, that's their dream. At least the dream is to have the freedom to be able to do that if they want. They might never sell, but hey, I want the ability that I can sell if I want yeah. to. Well, guess what? Goldman Sachs did not buy United Capital and say, uh, we expect Joe Duran to be there managing assets, right? He built this business in a way where he was a CEO, teams, yeah. systems, philosophies, asset allocation. So you've spoken with a number of our advisors that are very, very successful in their own regard. But what are the key factors that allow these type of multiples that Goldman was able to pay for United Capital versus the typical advisor out there selling for a 2 to 3x multiple? Well, first of all, let me be careful I'm not speaking for Goldman. That I don't know, per se, that why Goldman did what they did. I'm going to tell you why I think Goldman bought United Capital. Because I just talked about it from stage here in, in our training event. Mm-hmm. Goldman Sachs has always been a bank for high net worth individuals, right? Like high net worth has typically been, let's call it over 20 million, Mm -hmm. right? Certainly over 10. And that's been the rarefied air of these certain firms like a Goldman Sachs investment banking that leads to these higher net worth clients. Mm -hmm. That segment's very small. Now, there's been a fortune made in that segment, right? That's been the business of a Goldman Sachs. But... And this is, the t- this is, I've been talking about this for 10 years. Now it's clearly been recognized. The bread and butter in this business is not the high net worth client. The bread and butter in this business is the 30 million strong of mass affluent delegators. So a mass affluent delegator is someone who's a client who wants financial advice, who now today more than ever wants to work with an RIA. They want to work with fiduciary. Mm-hmm. They're fiscally conservative. They're not looking for home runs. They're not watching a stock trading show like Jim Cramer. They've reached retirement and they want to have financial plan, the holistic-based advisor, their money managed professionally. They're not looking for home runs. They just need their money to last their lifetime, right? That mass affluent delegator's account size is between 200,000 to 2 million. That happens to be very much the type of client that our advisors work Very with. much so. That's who our clients... You know, AE Wealth Management now has over $7 billion on its platform in 36 months. We didn't go out and buy anyone, by the way. Joe Duran's United Capital is a roll-up. They went out and bought all these advisors. So why did Goldman buy a mass affluent delegator business? The reason is they know they need to go and get into the next level of pockets because there's more of them. Mm-hmm. And they're hugely, they're very profitable, these clients. And they're loyal. So, and then you go, and why did they buy Clarity Money and why are they building markets? Because they also know they need to get all the way down to the bottom to the $5 account. So what the new CEO, what they're doing is they're building their funnel, reverse funnel, really, because most advisors start small and try to get bigger accounts. Goldman started with big accounts and is working their way all the way down to the account where the guy opens up a $5 money market account with Marcus Online, right? 2.4% right now with the highest yielding money market account, online. They're running the highest paying CDs online. So you go, well, what do I need to think about as an advisor when I see this? First thing you need to think about is that the competitors are coming out. There are going to be more people competing for a mass affluent delegator client. You need to be racing to get these clients in the community. Good news is there's so much opportunity. I mean, we have advisors now, a part of this team, Advisors Excel, A Wealth Management, that are, you know this, but I think people have a hard time believing this. We have advisors that are raising $100 million a year now in net new assets. Most advisors don't raise $100 million in a career. But we have people that have come on board here six, seven, eight years ago 
Mark Lloyd's a great example. This is doing like 10 million in net new assets, and now mm-hmm. he's doing over 100 million. And we have a lot of these advisors. It's because we've created this system here and this culture here that really helps these advisors grow. Because mm-hmm. the people like you who are like in the trenches with them, coaching them on how to build their business. I think it's interesting. I was there was a little kind of fireside chat last night with Joel Johnson, another one of our top clients. And I think the upper echelon, yes, we're in financial services, but they see themselves almost like a marketing company that happens to play in financial services and just serve their clients at a very high level. Where I think a lot of times when I'll talk to specifically in the RIA space, very successful RIAs, you know, whether 250, 500, a couple billion plus that I've had conversations with. They've gone the acquisition route. They think that's really the only way to grow. And they also, they don't really understand marketing. I'm just being real here. I mean, no shots at them. But when you sit there and you're like, wait a second, you could have active marketing funnels like live events that you're, you've done a few of over the years, yeah. right? TV, radio, and actually at three to one, five to one, seven to one ROIs at some of our top offices. So I could actually seven times my money while growing the assets faster, that just doesn't really compute with a lot of them. We didn't... This event we did on Friday that had over 500 people in the room. Mark got 92 first-time appointments with families, right? Not just one person, but you're talking... I I never use the term buying units, but it's Mm -hmm. a family. Right. 92 first-time appointments on Friday. And not mentioning review meetings, most advisors don't get 92 prospect appointments in a year. But what I do with Mark, I'm now going to go do 10 times more, right? I'm going to go around the country to the markets like Seattle, Chicago, LA, Phoenix, Dayton, Ohio, with all advisors that you know, probably half of them work with you. And we're going to do this nine more times in the next two weeks. And every one of these advisors are going to have probably, I don't think they're going to have exactly similar right. success, but it's the same exact model. They're hosting me. We're going to do an event about the economy and the latte factor. They're inviting their clients and they're getting their clients to bring friends and we have some prospects coming and they're going to get a bunch of goodwill on it and find a bunch of new assets and get a bunch of new clients. All of that's proactive marketing. That's not sitting at home and hoping somebody calls you with a referral. It's all proactive marketing. Proactive marketing is what builds real businesses that have real value. Joe Duran went out as a proactive marketer and built a business to buy up these businesses. So he took all these... you know. Different RIAs, rebought them, repackaged it, rebranded it, turnkeyed it, you know, made it pretty, came up with the technology, built the platform so that he had a much bigger thing to build and sell. And then go back to, well, I'm at home. What do I need to do? Everything I talked about today, it's got to be trainable, scalable in order to be saleable. So everything you do needs to be, is it trainable? Is it scalable? Is it saleable? You need to never do something once. It needs to be built to be done a thousand times. And you need turnkey solutions for everything. So turnkey for marketing, turnkey for the asset management, turnkey for the service. Our advisors have got every part of the process systematized, turnkey, and dashboard. Yes. You know, when we talk about private equity, who's basically funding all these acquisitions, the first thing private equity does when they buy these businesses is, first of all, everything's already in a dashboard, right? Because the book of business is sitting inside a dashboard where you can go in as private equity and look at every single aspect of the business. First thing they look at are KPIs, key performance indicators. And they look at your KPIs. What and they drill down in the KPIs to figure out well, what's it costing you to acquire a client? How long does a client stay there? How much more money do they need to spend to acquire more clients? What can they clean up inside this dashboard? And I just said a lot of that quickly. Most advisors don't even know what KPIs are. Yeah. Now, you as a coach, 
you drill down on your advisors at KPIs in the first 90 days, right? Am, am I yeah, right? There's nothing more frustrating than somebody coming to you and needing help and you can't even give them help because they don't know anything, any aspect of their business, any of the numbers. Okay, okay. so I need help with my seminars. Okay, well, what was your ROI last year? Uh, I mean, that's typically what I get. So that's a lot of what we do is we actually help them put the KPIs right. together first and now we can make educated decisions. My saying is, let's use math over emotions. And so many of these advisors, oh, my last seminar was horrible, you know, and but and, they don't and, have the math. And it's also, the funny thing is, and I say this in this book, it's just math. Yeah. And it's basic math. Like you just said, well, what's your ROI in the seminar? Our advisors, the Joel Johnsons, pretty much everybody who's doing well inside our group, they know what it is costing to bring somebody into the room. We'll talk about seminars specifically. Mm-hmm. What does it cost to get this person to sit at the table in that seminar? What does it cost to get that person physically into the office? What percentage of those people do I close? Therefore, what does it actually cost me to acquire that client? You have to know all of those numbers because then it makes it much easier for you to both invest in your business and also what we talk about all the time here is doubling down, mm. right? Because once something works and you know it's working, you know your numbers, you can double down and you can triple down. One of our advisors was saying to me, you know, he's like, I had a million dollars in my bank account. And I'm like, well, I can take the million dollars. I can buy a piece of real estate with it. I can take the million dollars and put in the stock market. Or I could take the million dollars and I could just put it back into marketing. He's like, I know on my marketing, I'm getting a three to one return on my marketing dollars right now. It's like, I'll be lucky to make 10% in diversified portfolio, right? So he's like, if I just suck at my marketing and I can get a one, that's a hundred percent return on my money. So as an example, and I won't say who this advisor is, but this advisor went from doing radio because we do a lot of radio here to help our advisors do radio to doing television because this advisor saw one of our other advisors succeeding in television in Arizona. Mm-hmm. So this is because we have a community, right? He reached out to her and said, you know, I know you, will you walk me through how the television's going? He's now doing three TV shows. Did one TV show start working? Now he's doing another TV shows. So now he's going to have three TV shows. And he's like, you know, it's all working. It's not all working necessarily three to one, but it doesn't matter because it's all working. And he knows his KPIs. Mm. So he's going to have a, just a huge year this year. Yeah, two things there that you hit on that I think are really important. Number one, I don't know how many times I've heard over the last 10 years, seminars don't work anymore. And Joel Johnson, who's one of my favorite people, does a lot of coaching for us. He goes, yeah. it's not that seminars don't work. If seminars don't work, it's you don't work. And he says that kind of jokingly, but the truth is our industry has trained people horribly how to present financial information, right? I mean... <laughs> I know we can go along. Look, look, I came to this in 1993. My dad built his entire business doing seminars. Crazily enough, one of the advisors who's here, because I talked to my father Mm -hmm. from stage, just came up and said, I took your dad's class in Walnut Creek, California 26 years ago. Wow. I have to tell my dad that. Wow. But when I came to this in 1993, people said seminars didn't work. In 1993, I'm like, I don't know. We've got a wing in this office. My dad's the biggest producing office. It's all he's ever done in seminars. So I just started doing seminars because that's how my family built the business. People like, seminars don't work. Direct mail doesn't work. Work just fine for us. My family, today, the Bach Group has $1.1 billion in our management. You look at people that are A, wealth, and buyers excel, the bulk of them do seminars over and over again. Now, the difference is they don't do one or two or three seminars. They don't even do 10 seminars a year. They're doing 
20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80. So Joel Johnson's the world are doing over 100. Now, it's not necessarily the individual advisor doing it. They might have also built a team. They may have professional people doing the seminars. Mm -hmm. But they have a constant proactive marketing machine. And I am telling you, the more seminars you do, the more money you raise. Yeah. And I don't think anybody does seminar training, quite frankly, better than we do here. Well, I mean, it's all been built on math. I mean, Josh Jones took a two-year sabbatical to go watch 100 live events and actually survey the audience. Why did you set a visit? Why did you not? Right. Yeah. So it's based on actual real data. The other thing that I run into a lot with RIAs that I think is worth capturing here is sometimes the lens you view the world through based on how you grew up in this business can really be a limiting belief for you. Because I think a lot of times I'll say seminar and the first instant reaction is, oh, there's a guy two blocks over. He's just pitching this product and makes me sick to my stomach. And the truth is when you look at our top performing advisors, the only thing they're selling at their events is holistic planning. Right. And it's like, how can any client come in and get upset? Like, wait, how dare you build a holistic financial plan where I'm covered for income and investments and tax planning? And so I think sometimes your own lens as an advisor, based on your previous beliefs or experiences or the guy down the street you didn't agree with, can get in your own way of growth. Have you seen that to be true with just how advisors will sometimes write off certain marketing aspects before they ever really examine them? Yeah. I mean, like when I came to business, I had learned that the fastest way to be successful is to model the masters. Mm. That everything is figure outable, but I don't have to figure it out because somebody else already Mm -hmm. did. So I didn't start at the bottom. I went to the top. I went out and interviewed, like in my case, I went out and interviewed 10 people who were doing a million dollars more at the time. It was Dean Witter before it became Morris Stanley. So the beauty of being young was it was before there were all these networking groups. I just reached out to advisors and I said, can I come out and meet with you for a day and learn, learn how you built your business? Mm-hmm. Can I come watch you do your seminar? And they weren't all from my firm. And I, I went out and I went to a couple, I went to a Bill Good marketing conference. Mm-hmm. I saw, you know, one guy in Texas was raising a hundred million, even back then it's the same, but he was raising like a hundred million dollars a year from seminars. I said, what? And he said, from stage, you want to come out and see how I do this? You're all, anybody's welcome to come to Dallas to see my program. Mm-hmm. I was a kid. I got on a plane, went to Dallas to go see what he did, modeled him. I'm so much of what I created was from learning what other people did that worked and modeling it. You go back to like, that's been the secret sauce of Buyers Excel and A Wealth Management. You get all these great people in a room and then they share. You know, Mark Lloyd, yesterday when I had dinner with him on Thursday, he's like, David, everything I'm doing, I learned it from somebody else here. You know, they have, you know this, but like we have these events that are super powerful and then. We have um, some of the advisors who created their own mastermind groups after the event's over, right? So like you go mm-hmm. through some of these people in these mastermind groups. It's just one rock star after yeah, another. for sure. And these guys will spend an extra day to a day and a half sharing what's working. It's also important about like what's working now, not what worked five years ago. You know, we always say here prospecting is the key and prospecting has to evolve. Right. So I've been teaching a version of Smart Women Finish Rich now for two decades. Our advisors have the latest version of it. It's called Smart Women Smart Retirement. No products in it. It's a completely experiential-based seminar. And we have advisors who, you know, again, people go, oh, there's these seminars. Women's seminars don't work. Well, our advisors are getting, in some cases, two to two and a half times return on mail. So 200 basis points return on mail. They're all getting more people to the women's seminars than their, than their men's seminars. Which, by the way, I got to stop you right there. Like, 
I've been in the direct mail business consulting on that for over a decade. Industry average is about 50 basis points or half a percent. So 4x more. Right. And even by the way, the ones are getting one to one and a quarter. It's twice what they were getting on their other seminars. And what's working for a lot of our advisors no longer is direct mail, it's digital marketing. So we have advisors who are doing both digital marketing and direct mail. And now they're getting a hundred people to come to want to come to a seminar. We've had advisors where the amount of money they were spending to market a seminar is now filling three seminars. Well, you learn how to teach a seminar well and you get that many people in front of you, you start to get a whole lot more business. We have people who were in really difficult markets in terms of direct mail. And now digital marketing is working so well filling their events, they're no longer doing direct mail. Now, I don't know if in a year, these Facebook ads will pull the same. What I know is, because we've got so many great advisors that are testing everything, we find out what's working, and then we help everybody double down on it. Mm -hmm. And we also, if something's not working, then we tweak it. Yeah, it's interesting because sometimes you know you can't see the forest from the trees. And just growing up in this culture of sharing and a bunch of rock star advisors that are incredible marketers, sometimes you don't realize that that's very different. But I had a conversation with Dave Callanan, who was talking with one of our TD Ameritrade reps, works with two or three of the biggest RIAs in the country. Mm-hmm. And when we started sharing, here's how many assets are raised organically based on just these marketing funnels each year, their jaw dropped. Because that's not the norm in the financial services space. No, because look, all you got to do is go pull Schwab's RIA you know, survey they do every year. Mm-hmm. Right? I don't think anybody does a better job of, of doing an analysis of, of the RIA industry every year than Schwab. And they basically look at the $100 million or more RIA. And you pull from every single year and 75% of clients come from referrals. Over $100 million. If you're an RIA with $100 million or more, inevitably, the answer is referrals. Which means that that RIA has no marketing program in place. Right? When someone tells you their whole business grows from referrals, they don't have a real marketing system in place because you can't write a check and know how many referrals you're going to get. So there are things you can do to systematize your referrals, but you can't have KPIs on referrals. So most RIAs get to a certain point where they're only growing through referrals, which can be okay, by the way. Mm-hmm. If you're not looking to be in a fast growth mode, there can come a point in time where you don't need to keep marketing, right? Because the thing is, it's a choice. There are a lot of great advisors right now that all they need to do is really do a good job of managing their book of business. Mm-hmm. They've reached that point where they're like, I have enough revenue. I have a good team. I want to have more of a life. How do I do that? That's a good question to ask too. Mm-hmm. So it's not a one fit solution for everyone. And we have advisors here that say, we've got the full spectrum now. We've got the advisor who's got one assistant, it works out of their home and it has huge profitability. Mm-hmm. It says, I don't want to have a team. And then we got teams that are going to 20, 30, 40, and 50 employees mm-hmm. where the advisor is no longer a day-to-day advisor. They're really a CEO of the business. Yeah. And I think, once again, to the beauty of our industry is you can build whatever you want to build, right? Here's the fork in the road. Yep. I can go this way or that way. But growth does not have to mean less freedom. And I think sometimes that's the thing a lot of advisors think, I don't want a team. That's way too much work. If you truly start to move into a CEO role, you can actually have more freedom. Joel Johnson, good example. Two months of vacation last year. Yeah. And so he's built a business where he's not required to be there. And so I think that's some of the fun things that we get to see behind the scenes. And to your point on how much marketing's evolved, 
I like to say on my chair, I've got the benefit. I have an accelerated learning curve, right? I'm seeing trial and error tests all over the country, 85, 90 of the top performing financial services offices in the country. I get to see the common themes that work, the common themes that don't. And then we just source and share best practices. And because of that, advisors keep growing and scaling. And it's a beautiful thing to see. It's positive peer pressure. Yeah. And one thing I would say too, is that because we t- we're, we're very open here, like Cody said today, it was a great line. But he said, you know, you're getting to see the front stage, right? Like the person gets on stage and Joel Johnson raised $300 million and you didn't see what it looked like the last 10, 11, 12 years. Yeah. And I think it's important to say like, none of this just goes like, it's not like this. Now, some advisors really is two or three years and they completely changed their whole business. But usually there's been a decade of time that went into this massive change where the advisors have gone from working with clients to being a CEO of their business. Mm-hmm. But the weird thing is, decade goes by like this, right? So like, I always no say when I do training, are you going to be here? Are you going to be in the business five to 10 years? And inevitably, if anybody's coming through here, the answer is yes, right? Because they're not going to be in the business five to 10 years. They're probably not looking to keep growing. Right. But if you're looking to keep growing, part of what you should do is ask yourself, like, what do you want your life to look like in 10 years? Because then you can build the business to help you get your life there. What do you want your life to look like in five years? I would tell you as an advisor, you need to be asking, what do you want your life to look like in 12 months? Because the thing, the common denominator among a lot of advisors, is they actually have a pretty crappy life. Mm. This is an industry that actually takes a lot of work. It's a great business, but it's a hard business. You work with clients, there's a lot of emotional energy that goes into working with clients. You have death, you have divorce, you have families. There's a lot. And the markets. There's a lot of stuff that's beyond your control. Now it's, it's heavily regulated. So there are challenges with this business. And I think the advisors that do the best in it learn how to balance having a life while having a business. I always say, if you love your clients, then you can love your business and you can love your life. Loving your clients is a big thing too, because if you've taken on the wrong clients, then your business is miserable. One of the things we teach is how to get rid of those clients. Because sometimes the, the thing that you can do the fastest to improve your life at work is fire the clients you don't deserve mm-hmm. And your employees love you for that because you've now protected that office culture that you love create. Yeah. And then you can build a business from the day going forward, which is we're not going to take clients that aren't nice. Yeah. We know what kind of a client we want. We know in the first meeting if that client fits that model or doesn't. And we're going to have a screening system, right? You guys have a screening system. We you, do. don't, you don't take on advisors here who aren't nice. We've gone out and had the dinners where, you know, by the end of that first dinner, we'll be nervous about but by the end of the dinner, right? Like if someone's had too much to drink or someone's rude to people, we all notice, mm. right? Yeah. We've had conversations no, where someone's come through and two or three people saw that person. We're like that person shouldn't even get through the next three days. That person doesn't belong with us. That's not the right culture. And you guys bring, that's why everybody shares, by the way, because we have an advisor culture that everybody's, they're all nice, humble people. Yeah. And it's almost shocking to people the first time they come in because typically the large producer at other groups is the one that has the cards close to the vest, right? And has an ego. Yep. And it's kind of like belittles people where here it's the exact opposite. And it's just been really cool to see that evolve over years. But it's because everybody's learned and grown from each other. So everybody's super thankful to the guy that's sitting right next to him in the training. You got to never... For, also, it's so important to like, not forget where you came from. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. Self-awareness. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Self-awareness is so important. 
in life in general, let alone our business. But all right, I want to close here. You've been super grateful to give us some time. And I know you're in the whirlwind tour here. So I want to close with a couple of different questions. I asked you some philosophical ones last time. So we'll switch it up a little bit on you, David. If you could look back and let's say give yourself young David just entering financial services and maybe you're on this kind of whirlwind mentoring tour that it sounds like you took. What advice looking back now would you give yourself or maybe a young financial advisor just starting out? Hmm. I really wanted to get my family to leave Morgan Stanley and go independent and open up an RIA. Mm-hmm. I wanted us to have our own RIA. I wanted the Bach group to leave. It's funny because wow. not Morgan Stanley sees, right? Yeah. And my father didn't want to do it. And there was a point at which I had to let that fight go. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I can't say I regret it was the right decision for me to just leave and go build a media company. Mm-hmm. And I don't actually think it would have been possible to convince my father and my sister. My sister's still there, mm-hmm. right? So like, mm-hmm. she's still at Morgan Stanley. But I think I knew the right road was to be independent, was to have an RIA. Mm-hmm. So, you know, here I am again back in the business and I'm a co-founder of a RIA with $7 billion on the platform. It's a great business. It's a better business if you're outside these warehouses and these boxes. Everything that you and I are talking about cannot be done inside these bureaucratic firms. So like if you're watching this and you happen to, and I'm not picking on Morgan Stanley, it's just, it's the reality of the systems. You're not going to come over here and be able to do a radio show, do a TV show, do these kind of seminars, have a website. Nothing that entrepreneurial advisors can do can be done inside these big box warehouse firms. And so, you know, for me, my soul couldn't handle the ceiling. Yeah. And so I got myself out of that box. And, you know, I'm glad I did it when I did it. Now, it was a great life that I left. It was a good business. It's still a good business. But I think I would tell, I would tell anybody who's young, the sooner you can be independent, the sooner you can build a business that looks like what you want it to look like. And the sooner you build a business that's independent, you have a business with real enterprise value. Mm. Now, today, the big firms are buying all the businesses from the advisors in order to keep them from leaving. But the business is still worth more if you build it right and you're independent. Yeah. And then more importantly, I just think it can be a whole lot more fun. If you're an entrepreneur, you know what? Not everybody's an entrepreneur. And if you're not an entrepreneur and you can work within the confines of these firms, then it's okay for you. Mm-hmm. It's knowing who you really are. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the advice your grandma gave you, right? The fork in the road. And I've talked to a lot of advisors where they know, I mean, in their soul, they know. But it's the riskier, not as easy at the beginning, right? Yeah. Once you've built a business, it can actually be much, much easier than the previous world. But um, I, my sister will never leave, I'm sure, Morgan Stanley. So, Morgan Stanley, you have nothing to worry about. I'm sure my sister will never leave. <laughs> um, and it's not a criticism of her. She knows what she likes to do. She yeah. likes me with clients. She likes her office. It's been going to the same place for 25 years. She's happy. But I would say, wherever you are in life, if your soul is asking you to do more than you're doing, then, you know, listen to your soul. Yeah. Because it never goes away, right? Like if you've got a voice inside of you that wants more, usually that doesn't go away. Well, Jeff Bezos, I think his famous kind of ideology is regret minimization. Yeah, He's like, I don't, I don't want to live life and be on my deathbed and have multiple regrets. So he's lived it that way and he's taken a lot of risks. They worked out well for him. But uh, I think that's a good way to look at that's life. That's finally why I wrote this book. Because I was like, if I don't write this book, I'm going to regret it. And if I don't write the book soon, I'll never write it. Well, I'm glad you did it. It's a great Thank book. You. So let's wrap. 
Thank you so much. Brian, my I, think, I think round two was even better than the first one. Well, the it's cool. It's, great, it's nice so. being face to face like this, right? Yeah. And you know, you were like the first person here in this organization that came to me to do a podcast. So you were early on the podcast thing. Yeah. Now you got a huge following. Yeah. Well, it's get great guests on and it works out well. So Thank you, thanks, my friend. Yeah, good to Enjoy see you. Italy. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks for checking out the latest show. On to this week's featured reviews. This week's first review comes to us from user Kale Tek, who says, My focus tool, five stars. When I started as an advisor, I listened to this podcast for ideas of how to grow and my practice grew, as well as my skills as an advisor. I still listen to keep my skills sharp and hear what's going on in our industry that may be important to me. My clients have access to all the same information I do. This podcast helps me provide that extra piece to provide value. Thanks. You know, I love to hear that this podcast has helped you on your journey as an advisor. And you know, it's true that as information has become more readily available to not only you, but your clients as well, I see a theme from our most successful advisors out there that it's key to be a lifelong learner and constantly stay at the top of your game. So it's great to hear you've learned that early in your career. Keep up the good work. I promise it's going to serve you really well. The next review comes to us from user AJ Stoller, who says, Best podcast on iTunes, five stars. This is by far the best podcast on iTunes for financial advisors. Since becoming an advisor, this podcast has helped to shape my processes and made me think differently when conducting client meetings. I highly recommend this podcast and look forward to hearing it for years to come. AJ, thanks for the review and the kind words. That's a a strong statement as there are a lot of great shows out there, but I'll do my very best to keep delivering from my side of the mic. And you know, thanks for listening in and taking the time to share your thoughts. I truly appreciate you. And the last featured review for the week comes to us from user KennyJ007, who says, Wonderful insight and actionable intel. Five stars. I commend Brad and his continued success. His diversity of guests keeps his podcast at the top of my list. You could pick one at random and strike gold. Always practical and always fun. It's the best kept secret out there. Your next level starts here. Kenny, that's a strong review. I appreciate it. I try my best to keep bringing in an eclectic guest list that I know can keep you guys on your toes and bring a different perspective to financial advisors out there. So glad to hear the show's hitting home for you. Hopefully, some ideas from the show have helped you uh, show up as a better advisor to your prospective clients and can serve them at a higher level because that's what it's truly all about. Thanks for listening in. Okay, as we wrap this show, thanks again for those of you who have taken the time to write a quick review. I love reading each and every one. In fact, if you'd like to connect on a more personal level, give me a follow on Twitter. My account is at Brad underscore Johnson. And let me know you listened to the show. I'd love to continue the conversation there. And for those of you that have interest in diving deeper or figuring out how you may be able to have our team help you implement many of the ideas shared on the show, My day job happens to be consulting financial advisors from all over the US on how to grow their business and design a practice that serves them versus them serving it. And yes, it's possible to grow your business, work less. It's a model we've replicated over and over in markets all over the country. So if you'd like to apply to see if it makes sense for us to have a one-on-one conversation on how to overcome what may be getting in your way, you can do that at bradleyjohnson.com forward slash apply, A-P-P-L-Y. It takes about five minutes to fill out the application so we can understand what your business looks like, what challenges you may be facing, and how myself and my team may be able to help. Taking the first step is as simple as applying at bradleyjohnson.com forward slash apply. 
So that's all for this week. Thanks for listening in and I will catch you on the next show. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Elite Advisor Blueprint. For access to show notes, transcripts, and exclusive content from our show's guests, visit bradleyjohnson.com. And before you go, I've got a quick favor to ask. If you're liking the podcast, you can help support the show by leaving your rating and review on iTunes. Not only do we read every single comment, but this will help the show rank and get discovered by new listeners. It really does help. Thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode. The information and opinions contained herein are provided by third parties and have been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed by Advisors Excel. The guest speaker is not affiliated with or sponsored by Advisors Excel for financial professional use only, not to be used with the general public or in a sales situation. 